Imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on Earth. You've got a few short years here on Earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about all this stuff? It's just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can... Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this. And then comes eternity. And you see, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because that's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going to do that right now. Just enjoy right now. Not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb. What are you living for? What are you living for? Now, there is nothing greater in the world than knowing who Jesus is. Man, I am really hot. <laughs> That's not what I meant, right? You guys know what I meant. I meant that the mic was, was really hot. You got that, right? <laughs> I thought about that after I said it, and I was like, oh. Now, knowing him personally and intimately, that should be our ultimate focus because it's the key to victorious and righteous living. But the world that we live in is so busy and it's so noisy that it distracts us from what our main focus should be. The world wants us to focus on self. What's in it for me? What makes me happy? What makes me feel good? The world is all about indulging in anything and everything to satisfy self. But when we've been determined throughout this message series, what we've been determined to do is to flip our focus. Instead of focusing on what satisfies self or who we are or who we should become, we've been focusing on who Jesus is. Because once we understand who Jesus is, this then explains who we are and who he desires for us to become. And he is the only one who can satisfy every need that we have. So who is Jesus? 
To answer this question, we've been studying the seven I am statements that are recorded in the book of John that point to who he is. And what better way to know who Jesus is than to study who he is in his own words? He said, I am the bread of life, which means he is the living bread that came down from heaven to satisfy the spiritual hunger that we all have. Just like you and I need physical food to survive physically, we need Jesus, the bread of life, as our spiritual food so that we can survive spiritually. He said, I am the light of the world. Light is meant for us to follow. It isn't meant for us to avoid, nor is it meant for us to ignore. Following him is the only way to receive the light that leads to eternal life. He said, I am the door of the sheep. Now, which side of the door that we choose to live on, it matters. On one side of the door is an empty life that leads only to death. On the other side of the door is an abundant life that leads to God's presence, his provision, and his protection. As the shepherd serves as a door to protect his sheep, you and I must serve as the door to our homes to protect the sheep in our family. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And what makes him the good shepherd is that he loved us so much that he laid down his life for his sheep. Last week, we studied Jesus' fifth I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just have the power to resurrect and give life. He is the power. And true faith that relies on his promises is what releases his power. No matter what we may be feeling or what we may be going through right now, the voice of Jesus changes everything. He is able. There is nothing impossible for him. We cannot limit him by what we can understand. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So if there is something in you that feels like it's dead, a dream, a goal, a relationship, joy or hope or love, whatever it is, he can resurrect it. He can breathe new life into it. Let's pray. Father, you are the great I am. And we thank you for your glorious presence here with us today. And we ask Jesus that you would tune our ears, that we would have ears to hear from you today, that you would open our hearts, Lord, and speak directly into it. We'll thank you so much for what you're going to do today through the power of your name. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to explore Jesus' sixth I am statement. Most of us are probably pretty familiar with this one. This is where Jesus tells his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. This conversation takes place the night before that he's crucified on the cross for our sins. And just before this I am statement, he washed his disciples' feet. He predicted that Jesus, or Judas would betray him. He predicted that Peter would deny him three times. And he told his disciples that he would be leaving them. All of this is what led to the disciples questioning where he was going. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some here up on the bookshelf. You're welcome to borrow. You can follow along up on the screen. You can follow along on your phone. Just need you to follow along. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? 
When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. To answer Thomas's question, how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. With these four words, he is saying he is the only way to heaven. He's not a way. He's not one of many ways. He's the way. He's the only way. And this way is an open invitation to everyone. Everyone has the opportunity to choose this way. Jesus is wonderfully inclusive in that the invitation to receive everlasting life is for everyone. He says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is wonderfully and beautifully inclusive. Whosoever. This invitation, it includes you, it includes me, it includes all of us. The invitation is open to the whole world. So it is absolutely and completely inclusive, but it is also decisively exclusive and that there's only one way to receive this invitation to everlasting life. That is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. There are not many ways to heaven. There is only one way to heaven. And this way is not a path. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And what sets Jesus apart from every other religious leader in the world? Well, I could honestly spend the whole rest of our time talking about that today. But let me just give you a few highlights of what makes Jesus stand out from every other religious leader out there. Jesus was the only man who lived a perfect and sinless life and then died on the cross for the sins of the world, paying the penalty that we all deserved. He was the only man who ever resurrected himself from the dead. No other religious leader has ever done that. They are still in their graves, or they soon will be in their graves. But Jesus died, and after three days, he rose from the dead. No one's ever done that. Only God himself has the power over death. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. There is no other religious leader who can make this claim and then give evidence to back it up. Jesus fulfilled more than 300 specific prophecies from the Old Testament. The odds of anyone being able to do that are so exponentially ridiculous that it's mathematically impossible. Translation, the only way to have been able to do this is if you were God himself, which Jesus was and is. And this leads us right back to Jesus saying, I am the way. He is the only way to the Father because he and the Father are one. He is God and there is no other. Now, some will say that Jesus is not God. Some will say that Jesus never said he was God, that he never claimed to be. This, of course, is false. So if you hear that, you need to run. Just by using the words, I am, Jesus clearly and definitively said he is God. 
The name I am is the name God used for himself in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses asked God his name. I am who I am is what he said. Now, just for fun today, I'm going to give you two examples of Jesus using the name I am to show that he is God. The first example comes after Jesus said, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he gets into this really weighty discussion with the Pharisees. And at one point, the Pharisees said, are you greater than our father Abraham? Who do you think you are? And Jesus says to them in John chapter 8, verse 58, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Now, if Jesus had a microphone back then, that would have been like taking this microphone and dropping it. That would have been a mic drop moment right there when he said that. I mean, you'd have to feel about that big after him saying like something like that. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. This is one of Jesus' most powerful statements. Not only did he make it clear that he existed before Abraham, he also used God's holy name. And by making this definitive statement, he was clearly saying, I am God. We know this because the Pharisees picked up stones to throw at him, which is exactly what the law in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16 says to do if anyone falsely claims to be God. The punishment for this was stoning a person to death. And that's what they tried to do. But we know that it wasn't Jesus' time, so he slipped away. Now, a second example of Jesus using the name I am, it comes the night that he was arrested and taken to be crucified. On that night, while Jesus and his disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas shows up to betray Jesus and have him arrested by a whole bunch of soldiers and officials. Now we're going to pick up in John chapter 18, verses 4 through 6, so we can see what happens. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Jesus answered them, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. John points out in verse 4 that Jesus knows all things. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things. This is another amazing attribute of God. He knows all things. That means he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Jesus knew he would be arrested this night. Jesus knew Judas would betray him. Jesus knew what would happen to him after he was arrested, that he would be beaten mocked and nailed to a cross to hang there and die a brutal death. None of this was a surprise to him. And yet we see in verse 4 that he didn't shrink back or shy away from being arrested. No, what did he do? He stepped forward. He took it head on. He stepped right into what he knew was going to happen to him. And then notice in verse 6 what happened to him when he said the words, I am. Our English translations it adds the word he in there for greater understanding. But actually, if you go back to the original language, you'll find out that that word he was not even there. What he said was, I am. That's the name that he and his father share. And look what happened at that name. They all drew back and fell to the ground. You won't find this in any other gospel. This is only in the book of John. Every one of those armed soldiers, those officials, 
All who came to arrest him, they were knocked to the ground by the power of his name. Because Jesus is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So clearly, just by these two examples that I shared with you, with Jesus using the name I am, we know that Jesus is God. Which is why it makes him the only way to heaven. And this way to heaven is both narrow and difficult, as we see from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus explains two different extremes here in this text. One way leads to life. The other way leads to death. He says there's a wide gate and a broad way that many people follow, but it leads to destruction. That's spiritual death. There's also a narrow gate and a difficult way that only a few people follow, and it leads to life. That's spiritual life. The challenge with so many people is that they think that there are multiple ways to enter the kingdom of God. The narrow gate represents the one and only true way to enter God's kingdom. And the only way to enter that narrow gate is by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus is what makes this narrow gate, or what makes this gate, rather, so narrow. It's very specific and it's very precise because there's only one way to salvation. Many assume that the wide gate is an option to enter God's kingdom. This gate represents all the religions of the world. It also represents any belief that good works has anything to do with entering God's kingdom. So many people believe that being a good person is enough to enter God's kingdom. I heard that this week. Somebody was testifying about this. Person they knew thought they were a good enough person. You come across this all the time. But that's what makes this wide gate so deceptive as if human effort has anything to do with it. But the wide gate doesn't lead to heaven. The wide gate leads to hell. The way to destruction is broad. It's like a multi-lane, one-direction highway going straight to hell. And unfortunately, there are many who choose that way. But because of the love of God, along that highway, there are plenty of warning signs telling people that they're going the wrong way. If you're here today, and that's you, let this be a warning sign to you. You're heading in the wrong direction. You know, these signs are often ignored because traveling on this highway is easy. All you have to do is put your car on cruise control and sit back and enjoy all the seemingly beautiful, enticing scenery along the way. And you can stop at any rest area or town that you would like and you can enjoy whatever pleasures you desire. Unfortunately, there are many who think they're on the narrow road to heaven, but in reality, they're on the broad highway to hell. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a person, but its way ends in death. It seems right because it feels right. It feels good. It's comfortable. And there isn't any conviction. 
just deception. This highway is full of all kinds of deception, and its chief deception is that it allows for human effort to travel to its destination. But this road only leads to death. Don't be deceived. We cannot make our own way to God or come to Him on our own terms. His way is the only way, and that way leads to life. But its gate is narrow, and its road is difficult, which explains why so few ever find it. Human effort has nothing to do with entering the narrow gate. The only way through this gate is through faith in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He is the only way. But I warn you, his way is not easy, and it is not, it is not easy at all. It's difficult. Following him will cost us everything. It will cost us everything. In fact, the more we follow him, the more the world will persecute us. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. The world persecuted Jesus, and they will persecute us as his followers. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says that anyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. We may not see this yet because we live such a sheltered life here in America. But in many parts of the world, people who profess faith in Jesus, they're tortured and killed for that faith. The fact is, when we become a friend of Jesus through our faith, we become an enemy of the devil and of the world. Following Jesus will cost us everything. We have to give up ourselves. We have to give up our own will. We have to give up our own self-righteousness. We have to give up our own self-centeredness. We have to give up anything in this world that competes with Jesus for the throne of our hearts. Dying to ourselves and taking up our cross daily is the way of life for a follower of Jesus, traveling on the narrow road that leads to life. Total surrender and complete submission. That's the life of a disciple of Jesus. So yes, his way is difficult because it costs us everything. But instead of focusing on what we have to give up, we need to remember what we gain. Yes, the cost of following Jesus is high, but it is so worth it. When we put our faith in Jesus and we follow him, we have peace with God. God, Jesus takes us from being enemies of God and reconciles us with God. Without this reconciliation, we're actually enemies of God. And we're in tremendous debt because of the weight of our sin that we could never repay ourselves. Without the peace of God that comes from a relationship with Jesus, we are subject to the wrath of God that separates us from him for all eternity in hell. So when we give up our lives for him, we gain his peace. Now, another thing we gain is rest. How many of you need some rest today? Come on. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you feeling worn out today? Striving to meet all the demands that life is screaming at you from what seems like every single direction? 
Come to Him and He will give you rest. So when we give up our lives for Him, we gain His peace. We gain His rest. Another thing we gain is freedom. We go from being slaves to sin to being free from sin. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, there are two different sons we're talking about here. That one here that says son, the lowercase, that's you and that's me. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become part of the family of God, right? The other son here that the capital S, that's Jesus. He's the one that sets you free. This does not mean that once we give up our lives for Jesus that we will no longer sin. The struggle against sin will always be there as long as we're in this flesh. But as Christ followers, sin will no longer rule over us because Jesus has broken the power of sin in our lives and he set us free from it it will no longer be what we practice. In other words, we will not be making a habit out of it, nor will we be comfortable in it. As Christ followers, not only are we free from sin, but we are also free from the world. We will no longer follow the way of the world because we'll follow the way of Jesus. John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, he says, Do not love this world, nor... No? There. Is that better? I'm hot again. (laughs) I guess so. All right, so this scripture says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. So when we give up our lives for Jesus, we gain peace with God, rest with God, freedom from sin, freedom from the world. We also gain a living hope. The world is full of corruption, immorality, greed, busyness, hatred, division, deception, cynicism, distrust, and ultimately despair. But Jesus tells us that we are to take heart because he has overcome the world. So with him, there is always hope. Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When we give up our lives to follow Jesus, he gives us a new living hope. So no matter what challenges or pain or discomfort that we experience in this life, we know because of the living hope that is now in us that these negative things that we experience, they're only light and momentarily. And compared to all of eternity that lies ahead of us, it's just light and momentary. And these things are simply preparing us for what lies ahead for all eternity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, you guys okay, you're getting a lot of Bible today. Is that all right? The Word of God. That's what we need, man. That is, a, that is a solution to every problem out there. The Word of God. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light 
momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Amen. We have this living hope that causes us to look past the here and the now so that we live in light of all eternity. So when we give up our lives for Jesus, we gain peace with God, rest in God, freedom from sin, freedom from the world, and a living hope. We also gain adoption into God's family. 1 John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God, children of God. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's like saying Daddy. That's how intimate and dear that is. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When we give up our lives for Jesus, we become children of God and are now part of God's family. So yes, it's true. To follow Jesus will require us to give up everything. But what we gain, what we gain far outweighs anything. When we follow his way, we gain peace with God, rest in God, freedom from sin and death, freedom from evil in this world. We gain a living hope that gives us hope no matter our circumstances. We gain the hope of glory. Woo! (laughs) The hope of glory. Had to throw that in again. When we put our faith in Jesus, he adopts us as his sons and his daughters for all eternity. We become children of the king. So, not only do we need to follow his way, we need to know his truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The key to knowing the truth is knowing his word. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To know the way, we have to know Jesus. To know the truth, we have to know his word. And when we know his word, we will know Jesus. The Greek word for know, as used in this text, it means to have a deep, personal, and intimate relationship. Isn't it interesting that this keeps popping up all throughout this series? That Greek word is genosko. That's what it means, having that deep, personal relationship. So the real question today is this. What is our relationship with the word? Because whatever that looks like reflects directly upon that relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the truth. So to know Jesus, we have to know the truth. And to know the truth, we have to know his word. You follow me? And when we know all these things, it leads to life. When Pontius Pilate asked Jesus before he was crucified if he was a king, Jesus replied with this in John chapter 18, verse 37. He said, you say that I'm a king. Jesus replied, I was born for this and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Are you listening to his voice today? 
Are you listening to him? Because the Bible is the way to hear his voice. The Bible is. This is how you hear his voice. You're ever complaining about not hearing from God? Let's check how often you're picking this up and reading it because this is how you hear his voice. It testifies to the truth because it's the absolute truth. And when you know the truth, meaning you have a deep and intimate relationship with the truth, it will set you free. God has given us the testimony of who his son is. It's right here. This is the testimony of who Jesus is. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 12 says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I see many of you mouthing that because you learned that during discipleship, right? Amen, man. Here's what this entire message comes down to today. If you know Jesus, then you know life. But if you do not have Jesus, you do not have life. No Jesus, no life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When you choose his way based on his truth, you will receive his eternal life. You cannot make your own way. You cannot come on your own terms based on your own efforts. Jesus is God's only solution for our sin problem. God saw how utterly helpless we are in our sins, so he sent his one and only son to this earth. He was born into this world for one purpose, to save us from our sins. And it was through his death on the cross that you and I are made righteous before God. His way is the only way, and his truth is what gets us there. So when we choose him, we choose life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Is he your way, your truth, and your life today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word, that you are a mighty God, that we have all that we need right here in the word of God. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would stir us and move in our hearts, that you would draw us to your word so that we can open it and hear your voice and not just hear it, as James would say, don't just merely listen to the word, but actually do what it says. We know that that is the key to living the righteous life. And we thank you that you've given us all the tools that we need. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Some of you may be here today and you're wondering, Man, I have wandered from the the way. I've wandered from the path. You know, Jesus is clear in his word. You can come back to him. You can turn to him. His word tells you in John chapter 6, verse 35, that any man that comes to him, he will by no means cast out. That should be a sobering truth right there. You know that if you turn to him, he is going to, he's going to accept you. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for me. So if you're here today and you need to make that relationship right with the Lord, I just want to encourage you that you can do that right there at your seat. 
You can do that right now. The Bible clearly says that all you need to do to be saved is to repent and believe. Repent is a change of mind. And when you believe, I'm going to share this scripture with you. This is what belief means. I'll pull it right from the Bible as we keep praying today. I will need my glasses though. It says in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. So repentance is all about the mind. Belief is all about the heart. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And I just pray, Lord God, that if we need to be right with you today, if those of us that have stuff that needs to get right, that you would just stir them in their heart to make that today. We love you. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're here today and you need prayer, I'm going to encourage you to come forward. If you're not sure that if you die tomorrow that you go to heaven, but you want to make that sure, you can come see me. You can come see any of us that are up here. We'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. So I thank you. God bless you. Have a great week.